Hey everyone, this is Addicted to Living, a podcast about escaping self-doubt, shifting your identity, and ultimately your mindset so you can finally have the life and the relationships you've always wanted and actually know you deserve. We're your host, Brett and Monica Odell. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. We are super excited for this interview, Michelle and Brian. Do you want to get us started? Yeah. So we just wanted to have another couple on that has gone through a similar kind of situation to us to give some people that are actually in addiction now or in recovery (laughs) now, or maybe it's not them necessarily, but maybe a loved one, friend or family member. So we can just give them some insight and let them know that there's actually people who've gone through what they're experiencing now or a version of it and that there's hope at the end. There's hope because, you know, nowadays with all the stigma around addiction and all that, sometimes people lose hope. And so it's nice to see that it's not just Monica and I or, you know, it's her, people they don't know that can actually come out on the other end. You know what I mean? That's pretty much it. So we're just going to ask you to kind of share your story a little bit. Just kind of tell us a little bit about yourselves, kind of what your struggle with an addiction. You know, a lot of people People ask us all the time, like, well, you know, Brett's, your, yours was drugs, right? And Monica's was alcohol. And I know that for a lot of people, there's a big difference. Even when Monica and I talk about our history in addiction, there are major differences, you know, on how we view things, the kind of lens we view addiction and recovery through, because they are kind of different. It is a substance that controls you, right? Either way. But a lot of people have uh, different opinions on it. I have a hard time relating to Brett, actually, in his addiction and his experience, because mine was just so completely different. So- yeah. Anyway, just tell us how whoever wants to start, you guys just tell us about your past or, you know, whatever you want to tell us. I used to be pretty scared to share my story, but I get excited to share it now just because I know that whenever I was struggling in addiction, it was so powerful for me to hear that people have come out on the other side. Where it all started for me, whenever I was a teenager, I always struggled with feeling like I wasn't ever good enough. Um, I felt like I wasn't cool enough. I felt like I was always striving to fit in and I never fit in. That's what I always felt. Whenever I found alcohol, it was like the gates of heaven had opened pretty much. It was like, oh my gosh, this is what I was missing in my life. This is what will make me cool. This is what I need as an elixir to help me. Now Um, I can be whoever I want to be. I can dance and I can talk without overthinking because I had a perpetual problem with overthinking every word that came out of my mouth. That is just, it helped me quote unquote so much. It was funny after the first time that I drank I actually I went to school like the next Monday or something and I was like oh my gosh I want to do that again am I an alcoholic and I was just like no I couldn't be but little did I know yeah so Yeah. it kind of went on I ended up you know drinking on the weekends with my friends and whenever I drank I drank to the extreme I, I wasn't one of those people who just had one or two it was you know and that's pretty much how it was whenever I was around my friends too that's what we all were doing and so it was normal it was normalized to just go balls to the wall with drinking and mm-hmm. you just drank until you passed out and that's the way that I learned to drink I thought it was completely normal situations happened with me mm-hmm. to where 
I had sexual trauma during drinking. Then things went downhill fast. In high school, that caused some big issues. I ended up having to switch schools because of rumors and things that were going around because of this trauma. Like teachers would tell me that they were disappointed in me when they had no idea what had actually happened. And they were my favorite teachers. It was really horrible. In that, I developed a pretty severe eating disorder. Then I went through high school with that and kind of used that as my coping mechanism because it was the one thing that I could control. I always needed to have control on something. Then I met Brian here whenever mm. I was 17 and he was the bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. And, it happens. And we fell in love pretty quick. It was, you know, love at first sight kind of thing. And I pretty much ran away with him as soon as I graduated from high school. He had a very big party group of friends. That's pretty much what we did. We partied and more horrible things happened. Whenever you're in that lifestyle, things happen. It just constantly put me back into this victim mentality. And that victim mentality that I got stuck in really kept me sick for a really long time. I thought that I had a reason to drink. I thought that I had a reason to have this horrible eating disorder. I went to a couple eating disorder treatments and a lot of it really emphasized on you being a victim and it being your parents' fault. And mm -hmm. that's not what I needed because that really made me sicker. And as soon as I got out of the eating disorder treatment, I would just use my eating disorder and then I just kept getting deeper and deeper into alcoholism. It was horrible. Like we, a vicious cycle sounds yeah, like. Yeah, like it of, gave you a reason. Yeah. It gave you a perpetu One perpetuated the other. Yeah. Sounds like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And Brian, he pretty much, it was kind of a steady like pills and alcohol kind of thing, but we were kind of functioning until we go through spurts of breaking up and then getting back together for like a 12 year period. And at one point we had finally gotten back together. My alcoholism got very severe to where I was in and out of the hospital too, like with pancreatitis. I got DUIs. It got to the point to where I was close to being dead. Nobody else would come to the hospital. I was in like a 72 hour hold because I was threatening to kill myself. The only person that came and me and Brian were together at that time was Brian. He came and then we decided we were going to move to Oregon together. Of course, like that geographical change would. Right. Yeah. Been there, done that <laughs> many times. It'll fix everything. Yeah, yeah. It'll fix those everything. problems don't exist over in this state. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And he was struggling really bad with pills at that time. And so he needed to get out too. He was like, all right, this is our perfect opportunity to up and move. And so we were both going through withdrawals, driving to oh Oregon. Oh my gosh. Oh no. Horrible, horrible. But it was a beautiful drive. And um, I have family up there. And so my family up there was so gracious and, and saying that come up here, you know, you guys can get sober. It'll be great. Get a new scene. And we were like, all right, let's go. And I was escaping my family because my family was suffocating me because they just wanted me to get better. And they were scared. I was putting them through absolute hell. My poor mother. So we went to Oregon. 
again, I went to treatment again and ended up getting another DUI. By the grace of God, I didn't get a felony. It just oh, worked out. Yes. Mm-hmm. I have three too. <laughs> yeah. And same boat. No and felony. I, I couldn't no believe felony. it. Not yeah. It, there, it, both of you. Yeah. It worked out because I got two so close together in two different states that my lawyer was able to work it in a way that I didn't get a felony. And so went to treatment again and Brian came back home. His mom passed away and that was a really dark time for him. He came back to Oregon and I had just gotten out of treatment. It was actually a wonderful treatment center. I was sober for five months. That was the longest I had ever been sober. We miraculously got pregnant. I thought that I wasn't going to be able to get pregnant because I had damaged my body so much with the eating disorder and drinking. I wasn't just a problem drinker at that time. It was like I would chug alcohol morning till night kind of mm-hmm. alcoholic and I got to a non-functioning point and so I really thought I screwed up my body. I miraculously got pregnant and being pregnant was the best time in my life because I didn't have to drink. It was amazing. Right? And it I was like a for me, I feel the same way when I was pregnant. Like I loved being pregnant because it's like, I don't need to have a reason. Like I can't drink. So I'm good. Like I, this is the way it's supposed to be. So I'm good. And it felt good to not drink yes. as soon as the pregnancy was over, you know? Yes. <laughs> exactly what happened. And we were so happy whenever I was pregnant. Then as soon as I had Noah, it just kind of all spiraled down again. We ended up getting in a, a really bad state with the, our relationship. It was just, terrible. Like I was drinking and then he was drinking, he was taking pills and we were feeding off of each other as you did this, then I'm going to do it. Then I'm going to do it. Yeah. Then I found out that I was pregnant again. That was a complete surprise. Brian went downhill completely. As soon as we found out that I was pregnant, he was going down pretty hard. Yeah. I mean, uh, between the the first pregnancy being exciting and oh, we're going to have a baby. This is a good time for us to finding out we're pregnant the second time, my response was not the same. It was, oh crap, here we go again. You know, we're a mess. Things are awful. We're pretty much roommates at this point, co-parenting, constantly fighting, barely talking. At that point, I was just like, you know what? Go back to Missouri with Noah. I'm going to finish up stuff here and I'll pack up and come home eventually. And so like just the different sides of the coin from one pregnancy to the other, it was like night and day. It wasn't it wasn't a good thing. I, I wasn't excited. Can I ask a quick question? And I, I'm only asking this because I went through this with my ex and having two kids. When you were pregnant with Noah, right? You just kind of said you like, you guys were super excited. It was, you know, you didn't think you were going to be able to get pregnant. And mm-hmm. going through for you, Michelle, going through the pregnancy, you know, not having a reason, not drinking, or anything like that. And and for you too, Brian, did you find and see hope like maybe this will be it to yeah. fix whatever, to, to change what we're doing and change how we're living and things like that? So my question is, is when you found out you were pregnant again after seeing that, hey, that really didn't happen with yeah. Noah, we were still kind of spiraling downward. Did it almost feel even less like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, oh crap, like, yeah, like less hopeful. Like I thought we were going to be able to fix our life last time with Noah. And now here we are again, pregnant again. We're in this horrible space. This time I don't have hope that, hey, we're bringing a child into the world. This might fix and, you know, change how we're living and change the things that we're doing. Did it seem like less hopeful? And did that kind of feed into it more to the drinking or to the the drugs? In my mind, it was things are a huge struggle now. And so we're just going to add more to it. I was just like, in my mind, it's going to be like last time she'll be sober while she's pregnant. And then once the baby comes, she won't be. And so now I'm going to be looking after two kids and trying to look after her when she can't look after herself and on top of 
working and on top of managing my own addiction, it just felt absolutely impossible. Oh, what are we, I mean, there's no, there's no light in this tunnel. This is just darkness. And to be honest, when we did find out she was pregnant with Noah, she was sober. She had to be sober. She was doing good, gaining some independence from that addiction. I didn't stop doing what I was doing. I wouldn't stop eating pills. I didn't stop smoking. I didn't stop drinking. I didn't, it was, all right, you're good. I don't have to worry about you. So I can just go do what I want to do. So now you I'm know? free to do my thing. And- yeah. Not have to worry about you. Yeah. My mindset with either pregnancy was never a sober one. And then with the second one coming along, it was just like, all right, now it's going to get two times worse because now there's two kids. And yeah. And then in that time, Brian was spiraling down and I was pregnant. And it was like two weeks after Brian actually had cheated on me. And I was like, I found out on the day that we were going to first appointment for the baby. He told me 45 minutes before we went to that appointment. It was a terrible time. Bad time. Bad time. Bad time. I just, I had to, I had to get it off my chest before we went. Yeah. You know, I was just like, hey, heads up before we go here, I'll tell you something. And stuff like that, there's never honestly really a good time for that. Right. It wasn't. But we tried to get better after that because I was like, okay, we're going to have a second child together. We can do this. But it just didn't get better. I think the guilt and shame that came from that for Brian, it just sent him further into addiction. I felt completely alone and I was like, all right, that's it. We're done. And so I had my mom come up and, and get me and Noah and we moved back to Missouri and Brian made his way back to Missouri. It was about six months later yeah. um, and I was at the time I was a bartender uh, on we, were, we lived on the coast so I was a bartender at a beachfront resort very much a party scene and so me being up there six months by myself Terrible. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> and broken up from his pregnant. I can't even yeah, imagine. It's like the perfect storm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It yeah. just it imploded. So I came back and I was pregnant, single mom, but I was empowered. You know, I, I was like, all right, I got this. I am the one that needs to be relied on. I had my family around me. My family was all proud of me. You know, you mm-hmm. got out of this bad relationship and I'm like, look at me. You know, I'm just got <laughs> <laughs> so oh, yeah. this. You know, and I had Evelyn and Brian continued to decline horribly and I didn't want anything to do with him. I did never give up on trying to give him a chance to know the kid because I know how important that is for the kids' sake. Mm -hmm. I would never talk bad about Brian in front of the kids. I would always encourage Brian to get sober in order, you know, to get the kids. But here's where my addiction changed. I went from being a non-functional alcoholic to a completely functional alcoholic. I made everything look good. I did it all behind closed doors. I went to work. I kept a great job. I continued to incline sort of Mm -hmm. on what society standards was. I was single mom. I had my own job. I got my own house. I got my car. I was taking care of things, but I drank whenever the kids went to bed. I wouldn't drink every day because whenever I drank, I drank pretty hard until Mm -hmm. I passed out. I'd be super hungover the next day. It was like just a perpetual life of hungover, which is terrible. And then trying to date like that too and not be an alcoholic when dating, and that's super hard. I ended up finding somebody who co-signed my bullshit. 
it. And he drank the way that I did. And we always said we would quit together. And he love dumped on me as soon as we got together because I was completely vulnerable in different situations. And he gave me all the right words in what I thought I needed. And so I got into this relationship and ended up getting married to him. And it was so bad. His temper, it was just abusive words that would come out of his mouth. It was crazy. That is what I needed in order to get sober, really. <laughs> like a wake up call because you're looking in a mirror almost. And yeah. it's like, oh my I, God, like this is my life. This is me, yes. but not me. I'm on the other side of it. Yeah, I've had the same sort of relationship. The same sort of thing happened. Yeah. And yeah. it's just like, this is what I'm going to, I'm causing my kids to grow up. And what am I doing? What am I doing to them? They are, this is who they're witnessing, who they're going to grow up and try to be like. And they're going to see me drinking, going downhill because it also the, it started escalating. The abuse started escalating. My drinking started getting worse. It got to a point to where there was no hiding it in anymore from my family. And my family was like, all right, let's do something. And so I found a 12-step program that it literally saved my life. I love those women with my whole heart. My sponsor is the most selfless person that I have ever met. Just learning through the 12 steps changed my behavior. It helped me recognize what my actions were doing to constantly put me back into the same situations, to choose the same relationship, to just live in that cycle. I wish everybody in the world could go through the 12 steps just because it, it just cleaned up my side of the street in a way that I could, you know, see my part in things. It helped take me out of the victim mentality that I was in for so long. And it's just like, all right, well, what am I doing to contribute to this life? I've seen it so many times. I've been to 20 different rehabs over 22 uh-huh. years in my addiction. And so, you know, you, you hear it all, you hear all these different stories. You just mentioned like how you, for the first time, you were able to see your part in it and take yourself out of the victim role. I think that is one of the most challenging things for people in addiction or trying to go through recovery. It was for me too. And so I think that's awesome that you did that. Cause I think it takes that moment to be like, man, this is my role in it. Here's the decisions I'm making. Here's my part in it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I can no longer use this victim mentality or to continue to make the, base these decisions off of and fuel this everything. It's Would awesome. you say that because the kids were watching everything that was happening, that that was like a big driver for you? Absolutely. I think, Absolutely. That, I think that if I didn't have my kids in the picture that I may not have ended up sober because that right. was a huge thing for me too. Them watching this man abuse me, talk to me in ways that nobody should talk to anybody and knowing that they're watching this man and they're going to grow up like him. Like that was, that was it. I had to get it together. Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. A lot of the times people say that sometimes you can't get, you know, sober for yourself or you can't get out of a situation for yourself. You know, it, it's okay to use, you know, another driver. factor. That's kind of what I had to do because I thought nothing of myself. It's like if they weren't in the picture, then it's just like, abuse me. Right? Like, I don't care because I don't care about myself. So whatever. So I, you know, I found people too that could love me until I could love myself, you know? And and so I, yeah, I respect myself enough not to let anybody treat me like that ever again. Then I was able to get a restraining order, which was the best thing I ever did. I felt like God was literally walking my feet into the courbroom. Brian just happened to get, I guess I'll let him tell his story and then we'll yeah, tell. Yeah, so how did you get to become
become like right. sober, Brian? What made you do that? Uh, well, I had a good childhood. I grew up, I was one of six kids, big family, happy family, well-loved, well-provided for. Went to a Christian high school, was very involved in church, and because that's what you did. I knew what it meant to go to church, but I didn't really know the re reason for going to church, I guess. Right before I graduated high school, I guess I got the, the rug pulled out from underneath me. Uh, my, my parents went through an ugly divorce. Life as I knew it completely changed, just got completely dumped over. So I went from this Christian school kid, popular, funny, athletic, like I knew who I was, to really having like no idea who I was. And at that point, I was graduating high school, which is a pretty big turning point for someone in their young life. But I had no direction. I had no support, really. My parents were fighting each other and then off doing their own thing. And so I was kind of just left to my own devices and knowing very little about the real world. I just kind of had the mindset, well, I'm going to recreate myself. You know, who I was, the life I was living didn't work because it ended so badly. So now let's let's try something else. So I'm going to be down for anything, do everything and do it to the extreme. And unfortunately enough for me, the my close friends at the time all kind of had that same mindset. Let's get out. Let's go do things. Let's try it. Because we kind of lived in that sheltered Christian school box, I guess, you know, not really exposed to like public yeah. school or anything like that. And so having that mindset of down for anything, let's do it and let's do it all the way. Started experimenting a lot of different things. Started doing a lot of things that never I said I would never do. So that moral line really kind of started to disappear. So we met the year after I graduated and the year before she graduated that summer in between. And so I started uh, adapting this new image. And that's why she referred to me as the bad boy, because I prided myself on being that guy, having that appearance coming off that way to people. That was your identity so, at the point at that time. Right? Yeah, I, yeah, I really held tight to that. Yeah. Because it wasn't necessarily who I was, trying to manage that was kind of a difficult task, you know, um, a lot of uncertainty with things and then a lot of uh, spontaneity just doing things off the, the my cuffs or whatever just going for it but I met her and I was like man this this girl is gorgeous and she likes me you know it's something I hadn't really experienced never really been in a serious relationship before and you know we fell in love like she said quickly and hard and you know we were two uncertain broken people trying to be whole together and that doesn't ever work we know that now right but yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm gonna fix her she's gonna fix me everything's gonna be fine and yeah. so with the party scene we were living in constantly me still trying to uphold that image of the bad boy it just you know was destined to fail so like she said off and on off and on we were together we weren't together we were together we weren't together and then um, when she was in the hospital that last time she was talking about that nobody would come up there her dad actually called me which I didn't even recognize the number I was pilled out laying in my room phone rang I answered it it was him I know you and Michelle aren't together right now I'm not sure what's going on with you guys but I need you to go to the hospital and get her. And I was like, yeah, all right, cool. I'm not doing anything else. Uh, I went to the hospital, you know, was given a, a sliver of hope. Like, hey, I'm going to get something back that I've been missing. You know, I'm going to get mm. her back. We're going to do this. And that's when we were afforded the opportunity to go to Oregon. And so we got up there. At that time, I had the mindset like, hey, this is this is going to work. We're going to, you know, new scenery, new people. We can let them know as much about us as we want to. Everything else, we can just be who we want them to see. I kind of took it serious. I was sober for quite a few months and really trying to put forth the effort to, to rebuild like or start a new life that crashed and burned and I was just like you know what you know I'm just gonna quit fighting it I'm gonna go back to doing what I was doing so substances came back in whether it was a pill whether it was something to smoke or snort or inject or anything her she's in and out of treatment centers uh, I'm still functioning at the time and then we get to the point where our son's born and like I said earlier I didn't stop using I knew that she was sober so she was fine I could go do 
do what I wanted to do, that back and forth ride. And then finding out the second Evelyn was coming, um, and then she moved home and I had that six month stretch of the party, 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 and just nothing was enough. So I kept doing it, kept doing it. If I was awake, I was doing something. And then I moved home and my mindset at that point was, all right, you know, she loves me. I love her. She's getting ready to have my second kid. Maybe if I come home and even try, you know, show some little bit of effort, there might be something there. You know, maybe this isn't completely lost yet. And where she was at with gaining her independence and her having the, this is on me to take care of the kids, me being a part of that picture was not even possible. She was yeah. like, no, not you. This is me. And um, at that point is where that little bit of hope left. And I was just like, you know, whatever. And went on my own thing. I'm thankful that she was always good on wanting me to be a part of the kid's life. She just wanted me to be a good part of the kid's life. Yeah, so we had awesome. a little bit of a system set up to where uh, as long as she, when she came to drop the kids off and I was sober, you know, I could have them for the weekend. So Friday night, you know, Saturday day was kind of my time with them. Yeah, it didn't last very long. <laughs> <laughs> um, she she could tell when she came over whether I was hungover from the night before or I had drinking just enough to get rid of the shakes or you know whatever it was and then once I lost that to my own doing once I lost that I just kind of gave up really dove into the bottle at that point you know alcohol was easily accessible it was more socially acceptable and so it would went from like a pint a day to a fifth a day to where I was buying it by the handle and you know just never having any leftover and that became my main focus because, uh, you know, it really wasn't the substance for me. It was being sober that I couldn't handle. So it didn't matter really what it was. Right. Because um, I didn't want to think. that pain. Just, yep. Yeah. I didn't want to think reality. about I didn't, I didn't want to think about how I had messed things up, how I had failed. You know, I had every opportunity to succeed and, you know, imploded, self-destructed, whatever you want to call it. And so I did that for a while. And then when the hospital stays started happening, like I got myself to the point where my organs were shutting down. I just, you know, and went hard and really hard that it was it was almost like lights out for me you know about six hospital stays in a two-year span they finally told me they're like hey man like this is real like if you come back you're not going home I kind of sat with that for a little bit thought about I was like so what if I didn't come home you know, I kind of got into myself to a place where I was content with like a slow motion suicide. I wasn't going to do it myself. Like right then and there, you know, if something happened to me, everybody else I know and care about, their life's going to be the same. You know, I'm not in their life anyway. You know, right. I've isolated myself to the point where I'm just at home. The only people that see me are the people at the liquor store. And I was like, you know, my kids are taken care of. You know, I don't want them to be anything like me. So if they don't know me, they can't be anything like me. So it's, I'm cool with that. No one's really dependent on me at this time. So if I check out, I check out. We'll just kind of ride it till we get to that point. And then when kind of push came to shove and they were like, hey, it's really at that point, I decided maybe I really wasn't quite ready to go. I remember being in, in the bathroom in my room on the floor after being just like violently sick. And I was, I kind of called out to God. I was like, hey, I'm not ready. I don't know what to do. At that breaking point, um, hopeless, lost, just with nothing. And, and so I, I'm, I'm praying for the first time in, I don't know how long, I don't know when the last time I prayed was, but at this point I'm crying out to God for help. I was like, you know, I've done everything else I can. I knew I said I was content with going, but I'm not not ready to go yet. I've got two young kids. I, I'm just not ready. I need help. Coincidentally enough for me, call it coincidence or call it an act of God, somebody reached out to me from my past who was uh, in spiritual leadership in my life. And they kind of said they've been keeping track of what's been going on with me through social media or whatnot, asking other people what's going on with me and kind of saw that my life had become unmanageable and I was, I was, I needed help. And so they kind of became that lifeline. I called that 
they were like, hey, yeah, yeah, for sure. And so they, uh, they said they would be in town for the weekend and that I needed to come if I wanted to meet them at a church service, somebody I knew that was preaching. And so I went and saw this person for the first time in 17 years. So from seeing it on social media to seeing it in, in, in person, they were just like, wow, they're kind of blown away by it because I was a mess. And, you know, in order to go to that church service, I had to get pretty loaded up just so I wasn't sick or shaken or so I took a combination of things. They kind of witnessed me at that time and they said, Hey, let's get you to detox. Uh, so go detox. And then when you get done with detox, I'm going to take you down to Springfield and we'll, we'll find somewhere for you to go. I don't know where it's going to be, but we're going to get you into a program. And me at that point was like asking for help. I have received help and finally accepted that help. And I didn't really have, didn't really have to know what it was. I just knew that I wasn't going to be sitting at home in that bathroom floor waiting to die. And so I, I went, we went, down to Springfield and went to a couple different places and there were reasons they couldn't take me due to medication purposes or um, insurance purposes, stuff like that. And I, I randomly found this discipleship program that was ran out of an emergency men's shelter. It's one of those things where you're kind of on a waiting list to get in, but they told me to come in anyway. And I didn't even get to fill out the application. I went straight into a meeting with the directors of the restoration program and just kind of spilled my guts to them. And, you know, there are three things they look for when they're accepting people on their like brokenness, capacity, and uh, willingness to change. They saw all that in me and just kind of accepted me on a uh, on a whim, on a faith. We have faith that you know, I mean, you obviously need this program, and we're willing to take you on. And so that's pretty lucky. Um, yeah. So I uh, I went outside in the parking lot. Uh, my stuff was at a hotel, and so my friend that had brought me down to Springfield went to go get it, and I had a few painkillers left in my pocket, and so I'm out in the parking lot. I popped those, smoking a couple cigarettes, and I called her, and I was like, Hey, uh, we haven't talked in a minute, but uh, this is what I'm doing. And I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen, but I just thought you should know. She told me to do it. She said, uh, buck up. And she said, uh, keep me updated. Let me know what's going on when you get the chance. One of the stipulations for the program I was in, they have a, a period called soul detox. And it's a six week period where you don't have any contact with anybody. Uh, you don't go anywhere by yourself. You're in a very structured routine from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. So I was kind of like, all right, let's do it. And I dove into it head first and I really committed to it. And that six weeks went by really fast. And I learned a lot about myself and about kind of life in general. I learned that, you know, I wasn't defined by my past and the things that had taken place or things that had happened to me. I was kind of more defined by my higher power, what I decided to do moving forward. I got a new outlook on life. I got hope. I started to uh, grow my comfort zone. I was encouraged early on to kind of live outside of my comfort zone because that's the only place it's going to, it's the only time it's going to grow. And so I started doing things I wouldn't normally do, finding out that I actually enjoy doing things <laughs> that I didn't think I did. Kind of just started uh, working on me. You know, recovery, they say, is a selfish process. Mm -hmm. And you got to focus on yourself. With the program that I was in, I was afforded that opportunity to kind of just focus on me. I mean, I knew the kids were taken care of and I knew that everything else was being attended to. I didn't have to worry myself with it. I could just focus on myself. You know, I kind of just put the higher power at the center of everything and focused on him. Everything just kind of started to fall into place just by my willingness to submit to a process to become part of something bigger than myself. Just that willingness. Brother. 
to find out what it was to to live life and enjoy life again. That I know I have a purpose. I was created for a reason. Yeah, I, and it, it slowly started to gain that joy back. Um, so when my soul detox period was up, I was able to contact Michelle, you know, to kind of check on the kids. Mm-hmm. At that point in her recovery process and where I was, you know, just kind of listening to her, the the tone of her voice was something that I'd never heard before. Um, I was like, who am I talking to? Like this is uh, an independent, stand up feet, strong woman. You know, like I, yeah. I was, I was absolutely blown away by that. And she, I mean, started, was always real supportive of, of me and my process, and I was supportive of her and her process. And at, at that point, wasn't even really worried about any kind of relationship or anything going on with her. I was just kind of worried about being a, a healthy individual and a good dad. Yeah, that was my main focus. About a year went on, and so the phases of my program changed. I got out of phase one, got into phase two, where I started working again coincidentally or divine intervention um, was offered a position as a uh, substance use disorder technician for adolescents. I was at a point in my life where recovery was everything. It's where I lived. It's what I did for work. It's what I did with my church and the recovery ministry really kind of surrounded myself with like-minded people going in the same direction with the same goal in mind. And so the job was great. I loved it. I loved kind of pouring into the kids, you know, and being where I was at 35 years old at the time. I was just like, Hey, you know, you guys are young, figure this out now. So you're not my age doing it. Right. <laughs> Take this opportunity. Um, Listen to us. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know where you're going. <laughs> yeah, right. And just, just like having been where they were, you know, and being able to have that relatability with them. Like, hey, man, I've sat in that chair. I've been in those scrubs. I've been in the detox. I know exactly how you feel and what you're thinking. And just kind of listen and be a little bit open-minded here. I can speak some truth in your life. And so I, I really enjoyed doing that. And six, eight months into the program, I was able to get a pass. I got to come up back up to Kansas City and I worked it out with Michelle where she was going to drop the kids off at my cousin house and so I was with my cousin and you know I got to see my kids for the first time in two years I hadn't seen them physically seen them in two years got to feel what it was to be a dad again and just have that joy and experience and you know and the coolest thing about kids is their unconditional love their ability just mm-hmm. to love is mind-blowing I hadn't seen them in two years except for video chats here and there they just love me because I'm their dad that's you know my, that's my name I'm dad and they love me just because and so that was very humbling just being shown that grace <laughs> it was so cool and you know it, it pumped me up they said it at my uh, in my program they're like you know once you leave on your pass a lot of guys don't want to come back but it was the reverse thing for me like I had done this for so long for six months and this is just kind of a small glimpse of what life can be and so I was motivated to back and hit the ground running some more and just continuing to be a sponge and soak up what it was they had for me to learn and and what kind of God had for me to experience I saw her for the first time <laughs> and uh, when she came to pick up the kids and she just kind of walked up and uh, she grabbed my belly and she goes, is that real? <laughs> he's, always, he's always been like a beanpole, like super skinny. The whole time we were together, he was just like so skinny, like no fat, no muscle, no nothing, just really tall and skinny. And so the first time that I saw him after him being in recovery, he had a belly and his like, I was just like, I mean, it wasn't bad. It was yeah. just like, what? I was healthy. I yeah. Healthy. yeah. But for the first healthy. time, like, you know, then they're done yeah. that, seen that. And it's like, that's like a one, one kind of like staple, like, oh my gosh, they must be doing better. Yeah. You know what I mean? It sounds weird, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah. That sobriety weight comes on quick. You know? Yeah, it does. <laughs> Your body doesn't know when it's going to get fed again. So it starts holding on to that stuff. So yes, I gained 50 pounds yeah. pretty fast, but I was at a good, healthy weight. And so she saw me, I saw her. It was kind of, uh, it just kind of firmed like, hey, this is real. She is who she says she is and who she sounds 
sounded like on the phone. She saw that I was, you know, who I said I was and who what I was working on was all true. We kind of affirmed each other like, hey, you know, we're both in a good place. This is real. So I think both of our main focus from that point on was, I know, for the kids, you yeah. know, like she was going to be strong and independent for the kids. I was going to be strong and independent, stand on my own two feet for the kids. And so we continued, uh, we developed a really healthy co-parent relationship. And so we immediately started playing planning when the next time I was going to be able to see the kids and things kind of just successfully went on from there. And it was always, it was always kind of a, you can see the kids, but it's not going to be at my house or it's, you know, I'm not going to go out of my way to make oh, yeah. it happen, do this. And she yeah, made it very clear to me. That I know all about that brother. <laughs> she all made it about very, it too well. Yeah. She made it very clear to me that I'm not here for you to move in on kind yeah. of thing. Right. And I told him too, I'm like, he would try to hug me or something like that. And I had my walls up. I, well, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, I get yeah. that. Yeah. Really long time. And I was like, they are not coming down. There's no way we're getting back together. It's not happening. And then I would see little glimmers, little glimmers of light. And I'm just like, and I'm convinced that, you know, I'm going to have this other husband or something like that. Like, I've already convinced myself that me and Brian aren't going to be together. Really good co-parents. We're mm -hmm. not going to be together. And then Easter last year, I actually, I was like, okay, you, you can come to Easter with us. And my family, my family has always adored Brian because yeah. they know his heart. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> they have always loved him. They've always rooted for him to get healthy. Not that we would be together, but yeah. he would get healthy and, you know, be in the kids' lives. And whenever he started getting healthy and stuff, they always welcome him with open arms. Like, even if we're not together, they're like, yeah, we love Brian. That and speaks so a lot of your family because a lot of times yeah. in that situation, it's hard to like truly see someone's heart, you know, outside of the addiction. You know what I mean? And so kudos to them. That's awesome. So he came to Easter for the first time with us. And it was just like, I felt the Holy Spirit all over it. We had taken this one picture. As soon as I looked at the picture of us together as a family, it's just like, I got goosebumps all over my body. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this is not what I had right? planned. And then I'm just thinking, and I'm just like, everything that he's doing, everything that he is like striving for, he's everything that I'm looking for. Everything that I'm looking for. There he is for the kids. He's the best dad. He is a man of God. He's that strong, healthy relationship. And me and him have the history of knowing each other and knowing our core, you know, oh, and right. he knows me. He has seen me at my worst. He sees me at my best, you know, and There's nothing that you have to hide or nothing that you you have to tell him you don't have to right. mm -hmm. yeah. figure out a whole it's, new a relationship outside of somebody who doesn't know you yeah mm -hmm. exactly yeah. and so just slowly then may comes and one day i just let my wall down it just automatically came down and we kissed for the first time may 27th <laughs> i i was like would you be my boyfriend well, <laughs> yeah oh i love that's, that that's no that's awesome that's one of the things i had written down to ask you guys was like when was and what was that like aha moment? And was it like an aha moment? And you, you already told us what it was, you know, at Easter yeah. in the picture. Because I always find it's interesting to think that I, so many people throughout my 22 years of going through all this, as you guys do too, like there's so many people that don't ever fully break that cycle, right? And they maybe do some things, but then they choose whether it's that same person, that same relationship or a different one yeah. that's very similar to it. They make those same decisions you were talking about earlier. I wanted to know like, what was it that made you guys go, okay, all the damage that's been done on both, on both ends, both of us, right? And even though we have two kids together, like what was it that just like 
said, all right, I'm going to do this. Like we can do this now. You know what I mean? But you've already explained yourself. So I think that's yeah. phenomenal. I think it's so important too, like being in recovery to have somebody who understands what recovery even means or like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know that I would be able to have a relationship with somebody like I have with Brett because he knows, you know, he knows the past. He knows how it is. He's been through it. He knows that, you know, I'm not going to be drinking. I don't want alcohol in my house even, you know, and what if you, you know, not everybody's sober. <laughs> No. You, very few people yeah. are, you know, don't drink. So it's like, like he said earlier, divine intervention. Like yeah. we had to be exactly where we were in the place in our life that we are at now and meet back up at this specific time for it to work. And, and go through all the things we went through. You took it to the place where we're at, you know, like there's no, you can't plan this stuff. You can't plan our story. You can't plan your guys' story. I mean, you can't, you can't do it. There's too much detail. The timing's too perfect. It, you had to be in this particular stage, the season of life to do it. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Really cool. You guys have an awesome story. You, yeah. That. And it's funny as I'm listening to you guys talk, I'm thinking about to myself, like, man, like Michelle, you and Monica have a very, very similar kind of story like background exactly. and not just similar in the fact, like a lot of people going through, you know, addiction and recovery have like very specific things. And Brian, yeah. you and I do too, you know, especially being dads, you know, I went through the same thing and still going through that uh, with, with my two girls too. So it's, mm -hmm. yeah, it's definitely a process, but yeah. So I love hearing it. And I know like people listening, you know, cause we get this question all the time, like people that the hope that we talked about earlier, everybody, I think there's a, not everybody. I think there's a lot of people that assume like, Oh, once you, you make this decision to get sober and once you make the decision to kind of stand on your two feet, you know, whether there's kids involved or not, like you still have to, those aren't necessarily possible and they're going to be this way and they're going to be that way. And so seeing like, Hey, like how Michelle, you always encourage and support him and just want to be the best version of himself right for himself for his kids you didn't really even have yourself in mind you know what i mean and then here you are fast forward later and look you know and all of you are better off and noah and evelyn too yeah and you did it on your own too it wasn't like you relied on one another to yeah. become to be sober to get sober and to live this life you decided that on your own that each of you are going to stand on your mm -hmm. own feet and that was your decision to make so yeah. i think that's that's very important too you don't you're not doing it for somebody else yes your kids played a big role in it but mm -hmm. ultimately you're the adult that made the decision to change their life so mm -hmm. it was your decision you did it for you yeah i mean I, I, we both kind of figured out that like you know we have to be a good version of ourselves for us before, yeah. before we can be good for anybody else mm -hmm. and yes. that's I I always say you yeah. have to fill your cup before you can fill anybody else's cup. Every time in my experience, every time I went to treatment, every time I tried to get sober, I never lasted more than a week, you know, in 22 years. But every time I did that, it was for somebody else. It was for, and it's easy to justify and say kids or a family or a spouse or whatever, but it wasn't really talked about recovery being selfish. You know, it's like it until I really truly wanted it for myself with yeah. not thinking about anybody else. As bad as that sounds, when I tell that story to people, they're like, but you got two kids and stuff. And it's not, I don't mean for it to sound that bad, but I had to want it for myself. Knowing that if I do this for myself, my girls, my family, everybody in my circle is going to benefit from it and they're going to be better off. Well, I'm happy for you guys. Yeah, so happy for you. Thank you guys again so much for sharing your story. I know that's not always easy. I'm glad that, you know, that we could connect on social media and kind of see that we're both entering this world as in like yeah. sharing our stories and living in recovery and living out loud in recovery because there's 
so many people out there that struggle silently. That they don't talk about it because they're afraid of the stigma that comes along with addiction. People are like, oh my gosh, yeah. like this person was this and they did that. Like, and they look at you in this negative light. Mm -hmm. But for us to be able to talk about it and to be the light that we're being, I think it's so empowering for those people and it gives them hope and it gives them a reason to become better than what they are and to let go of their demons and to let go of that addiction and to move forward with their life. So I think it's beautiful what you guys are doing too. It's amazing. Thank, Thank you very much. I think one thing for me is now I can actually say that I am a grateful alcoholic. I am truly grateful to be to have been an alcoholic because of all that it taught me and all that it's going to help in our, our future with helping others. Like it is such a yeah. good thing to share your story with somebody who is struggling and yes. to give them hope. And like just giving one person hope brings so much joy to my heart and seeing that light come in, in somebody else's eyes because they're like, you did that. Right. Like, oh, yeah. you know, maybe I can do it too. It's yes. Yeah. Everybody struggles with something like, and you talk to one person on the street. I can assure you that they know somebody who is an alcoholic mm -hmm. and or a drug addict. It affects everybody. And yeah. so it's not a bad thing to talk about. We need to talk about it yeah. it's such a beautiful thing so yeah and i love what you said too people always ask me like oh, if you could go back and undo all that would you i wouldn't change a thing honestly as bad as it was yeah. and as hard as it was i agree with you i learned so much for i'm, I'm who i am now yeah. and continuing to grow as a person because of that did it suck was it horrible yes but now i wouldn't go back and undo it because it made me who i am now and i feel like we can empower we can impact people if and if nobody else my family my loved ones if nothing else the gratitude that comes along with it like i'm grateful to do these normal day-to-day -day things yeah. because for a long time it didn't look like I was going to be able to do that. Stuff. You didn't even know that they existed like when you talked about trying to find things to fill your time that you enjoyed outside of the stuff that you always did which was just drink or, or use or, or be high and that's what I struggle with. We talked about in the beginning like I don't know what I enjoy. I just went yeah. through life like a robot like a machine high pretty much all the time and still you know quote unquote function. I always use air quotes for that but yeah. it's like now that I'm sober like what, what are things that I enjoy like individually, you know, whether yeah, separate. he still struggles with that. I'm like, I do. What hobbies do you have? Do you have any hobbies? He's like, oh, I really don't know. <laughs> but been, we're working yeah. through it still. Well, it's funny because like, work in progress. Been self-employed for so long, you know what I mean? So many years, and it's just that that grind of working again, being functioning addict. You know, it was like all I knew was how to use the drugs that I was using. You know, on the timeline that I need to, so I could function, succeed, and, and succeed, and and isolate that, and kind of shape that for everybody else to see what I wanted to see for yeah. 20 years you know what I mean it's like that's all I did I didn't experience with new things it was work high work high hand in hand you know what I mean so it's different mm -hmm. it's challenging mm -hmm. yeah. so one piece of advice that you would give somebody in recovery or somebody who is currently in addiction and what would what piece of advice would you give them I got one so don't quit quitting because I was so hard on myself for constantly relapsing mm -hmm. and I just encourage anybody who's struggling and who thinks that they're, they're never going to be able to, to stop doing whatever they're doing. Just don't quit quitting. Every time you quit, it's a victory and you're gaining knowledge and you never know that next time could be the last time. I never thought that I was going to be able to quit because it was a constant cycle for so long. I couldn't get past four days. I couldn't get past, you know, and then I made it two weeks. That was huge. And then finally, it was just like, there it is. And it came. And so just don't quit quitting. I like that. That's good. I like that too. If I had any 
advice would probably be, you know, I mean, this this is for everybody. So I tell the kids I work with, this kind of life is for everybody. Recovery is for everybody. Put yourself to the side, get rid of your pride and submit. And that's a really tough word for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. But just submit to something. Know that doing things your way has gotten you to this point. And so it's time to start figuring out a different way to do stuff. Yeah. Great advice. I love it. Great advice. All right. Well, you yeah. guys have an awesome Saturday. Yeah. You took time out on your Saturday. We really appreciate that. Yeah. So thank you guys for real. Day and for thank real. you so much. I'm sure yeah. we'll connect again somehow sometime soon. Yes. Right. Thank you. Thank Bye, you. Guys. Have a great day. See you guys. See ya. What an amazing story. Guys, Brian and Michelle were in addiction for 20 plus years between the two of them. They were actually separated, not together, for around six years, spending time apart, trying to figure out themselves, work on going forward. They actually now have two years of sobriety under their belt. So they've been in recovery now for around two years. So it really just goes to show you guys that there really is hope out there for everybody. So don't feel like you or your loved one is just stuck in this place, in this dark hole with no way out, because this just goes to show you yet again that there is hope and you can come out on the other side. All right, that is all we have for you today. We sincerely hope that you were able to gain something from this episode. I know I sure did. And that you walk away feeling a little bit better than you did before. With that being said, we would appreciate all of your questions, your feedback, or even any ideas that you have for topics or personal struggles that you may be having or have experience with yourself or even a friend or family member. To do that, you can email us at addictedtolivingpodcast at gmail.com. You can find more about us on our personal Facebook pages and join our Addicted to Living Facebook group from there. You can find us on Instagram at Addicted to Living Podcast. If you liked our podcast today, do us a huge favor and like and subscribe so that you know when new episodes drop. We wouldn't want you to miss out. With that, live life in the moment and make today great.